kind of integral to the experience of living your life on the internet is having the ability to realize that past you was a giant prick. Welcome to Shroom for Two, the Plants vs. Zombies Heroes podcast that did not get taken down by YouTube, Apple, and Spotify this week. I'm Mike. And I'm Taylor. Congratulations on being less offensive than InfoWars, Mike. We had to work really hard. Yeah, it was a, a lot of tireless work, but but we made it. We escaped the wrath of the content cabal, and uh, I don't know how my mom's going to deal with it, but I don't care. <laughs> uh, okay, so... Uh, we have a little bit of follow-up at the start. Got some feedback from listener Nate, who uh, found an error in my discussion last week about Bad Moon Rising. So I was talking about calculating the probability of getting a Zombot 1000 off of Bad Moon Rising. And uh, to do it, I used a thing called the Hypergeometric Calculator, which I've mentioned a bunch of times. It's a thing about uh, calculating the probability of stuff in certain circumstances. But Nate pointed out that the Hypergeometric Calculator is about getting random picks out of a diminishing pool of possibilities. So the reason it works so good for card games is once you draw a card out of your deck, that card is no longer there. Um, and so that's what the hypergeometric calculator does. It like constantly adjusts the, the, the pool of available picks down so that your chance of getting the thing is like increasingly larger. But that only works if you're actually removing the choice from the possible pool uh, as you're making the picks. But off of Bad Moon Rising, you can get duplicate stuff, which means that you don't need to worry about the hypergeometric calculator. You can just have, you know, one over 48 times the number of picks you got, and that's your chance uh, of getting a Zombot off the thing. So I made it way too complicated. Um, all you got to do is just some simple math, and then you'll find out what your chances are. Uh, so thank you, listener Nate, for pointing that out. And uh, also thank you for letting me steal your screen name for Reddit all those years ago. As far as podcasts that talk about the hypergeometric calculator are we in like the top 10 percent the top one percent i feel like we talk about it a lot more than any other podcast i listen to or have heard of um so it's a pretty dorky thing so you know it's it's not gonna have tons of penetration in the rest of the podcasting sphere i think um it comes up sometimes on magic podcasts like i first heard about it on limited resources um, you know, I think that it's come up randomly, like in other magic content where it's like, you know, a lot of times some like combo decks, for example, require you to have something in your opening hand. And so like if you've got a 60 card deck and you're drawing an opening hand of seven uh, and you mulligan up to three times, you can calculate your chances of getting that card in your opening hand on one of your first four mulligans or whatever. Um, and you can do it similarly with uh, games like PBZ and Hearthstone, but those games tend to be kind of more linear. Those games kind of tend to be less about whether you have a particular card in your hand on turn one. Um, and so, like, I guess the necessity to do that kind of math isn't really around as much, and so people are kind of less drawn to that conceptually. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's just a like a stats nerd concept. I feel like I've seen people reference it when it comes to, like, calculating Trickster and Valkyrie decks, because those are decks that rely on having a specific card in your opening sure. hand. Sure. Yeah, I mean, and, and honestly, like, we see people, like, you know, sort of luminaries in the PBZ community uh, discussing things in magic terms, uh, sometimes on the Reddit, and so, like, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they heard about it on, like, MTG Goldfish, Limited Resources, or one of those things, because, you know, the... Um, the real like combo player types uh, really sort of go deep on the hypergeometric calculator. Um, and so, you know, if you're trying to do like an exactingly calculated 
uh, breakdown of how a deck functions, then that's a tool you'd want to use. Speaking of stuff for nerds, there is apparently a podcast convention coming up in a few months. Uh, there's a thing called PodCon, which will be having their uh, second annual convention in January, I believe, up in Seattle. And I think I'm going to go to it. I don't know if I'm going to go there as just an attendee or try and get the, the podcast featured on it somehow. But like I, I went through and I, I filled out the application and submitted the podcast. And you're like, hey, we're, we're probably different than all the other stuff going on because it's stuff like... Hank Green's podcast and my brother, right, my brother yeah. and me, and Welcome to Night Vale. Oh, all the big ones. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, we're certainly the only PVZ Heroes podcast that we've ever uh, been able to find. Um, and you know, probably with something like PodCon, um, I imagine that sort of in that uh, in the future, everybody will be famous for fifteen minutes kind of way. Probably every schmuck at PodCon has a podcast or had a podcast or goes to sleep listening to podcasts or some other business like that. Um, and so, hey, that would be uh, that would be super cool. Yeah, and you know, maybe we'll find some other card game enthusiasts to talk about. Maybe like the Angry Chicken people would be there, or or like oh, the, that would be sweet. Some of the limited resources people are from any of those other ones. Uh, Marshall does live in Seattle. Popcap's also in Seattle, from what I understand. Uh, so maybe you can uh, schmooze with the devs. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Go uh, go hit me up if y'all are still listening to this. All right, everyone. Card of the Week time, and big, big news, Forget-Me-Nut is back. The one-mana, two-one, Guardian, flower-nut plant, and it makes zombie tricks cost one more. One of my favorite event cards to ever come out, and, like, as far as event cards go, that you really need to get four of them, this is way up there. Yeah, and part of that reason is that this card is absolutely the best when you've got it on turn one, because uh, there are a lot of zombie superpowers that really kind of set the pace of the game if you play them on turn one, most notably uh, Huge Giganticus's ultimate power, um, but even, you know, just the, like, the draw twos or, you know, different things like that, those sorts of things can be really uh, nasty if the zombie player gets to do them on turn one. Having four of them in your deck is a, is a big asset in that way. Speaking of that, returning one more time to our old friend, the Hypergeometric Calculator. Uh, in the earlier segment, I mentioned that the Hypergeometric Calculator is great at calculating the odds of having something in your opening hand. So uh, if we go to the Hypergeometric Calculator, and say we got a population size of 40, which is our deck, we got four successes in the population, which is we got four of these cards, and our sample size is eight, meaning we got a four-card opening hand, and we can mulligan each card. So what are the chances of having at least one forget-me-nuts in your opening hand if all that stuff is true? turns out the answer is 60.6%. Uh, you have a 60% chance of having a forget-me-nuts in your opening hand if you've got four of them in your deck, which is very good odds and is certainly the kind of thing that will pay you off for grinding out four copies of them. And based on the hero you're facing, hard mulliganing for forget-me-nuts on turn one might be the best idea because, like, Professor Brainstorm really hates to see this card. It is the absolute bane of pretty much every brainy hero, but especially Professor, as far as the thing they want to do on turn one is whichever superpower they get that gives them card advantage, and being able to shut that down is such a huge boon to helping out. But even, yeah, Super Brains, Infinity, Huge Giganticus, and uh, and Brainstorm are the, are the big ones to, to throw this out against. Especially since Trickster decks... Oftentimes, their first their first non superpower play will be a beam me up on turn two, um, and this also turns off the beam me up on turn two. Uh, ditto the ramp spell um, and lots of other kind of trick heavy zombie early games. Um, so, like, I think that probably when this came out, this was more 
a thing for like sort of hobbling the zombie player uh, for like a reasonably aggressive plant deck at the start of the game. Whereas right now, Trickster is kind of like where it's at, uh, kind of like it was back before any cards had been released at all. Uh, and so Forget-Me-Nuts is really shining right now. Yeah, you can see why it's made its way into decks like Barry Spadow and um, the Healing Wall Knight, because it is a wonderful little bit of early game presence to you know trip up your opponent for not only one turn, but you know sometimes even two or three. And if you're able to get multiple of them out on the field, then sometimes you're really able to shut your opponent down and pull so far ahead you're going to win. Uh, so something about the play pattern of this card um, is that you would think that this at the surface, would just be you'll play it like the zombie hero would play cards that reduce the cost of tricks. Like, you play it as early as you can, and then that's what it does. But this is different, because effects that make the cards cost more actually retain their utility later in the game. So, if, say, you draw Forget-Me-Nuts on turn three, there's actually a benefit to you of holding on to it, because very frequently, um, a zombie player will leave up the exact amount of mana that they need to cast a particular removal spell. So, like, let's say you might get weed sprayed, or they might have a rocket science, or they might have some other thing like that, and they pass with three mana available. If you can play a Forget-Me-Nuts, then all of a sudden, you screw up the whole second phase of their turn. Kind of like how um, I've advocated, like, randomly putting Spirus in decks um, that might get hosed by Gravestones, because, like, they play Gravestone, or maybe two Gravestones, and you just get to be like, okay, the surprise is over, what am I going to face here? Let me make that decision based on this new information now. The Forget-Me-Nuts can allow you to say, my opponent's getting greedy holding up exactly this removal spell, I'm going to sandbag this until they do that, and then not allow them to cast that spell. That might leave your, your like, aggro field of dudes on the board for an entire extra turn, which can, you know... For something like an aggro deck that tries to pack as much damage as possible into the early beginning of the game, that's very good. Yeah, you definitely, if you're up against a uh, hardy hero, you want to save this for like a later going viral or weed spray turn to deal with them, to uh, to mess things up like that. But uh, also things like Thinking Cap, which, you know, not only yeah. <laughs> hinders the conjuring of the superpowers, but also makes the superpowers cost two each, which that is a, that's a card I've been seeing a lot, and if you're... Uh, if you get driven mad by that one like I do, then throw this in your deck. Probably the biggest weakness of this card is the fact that it has only one health, which is super off-brand for a nut card. So, like, this is a nut that is really bad in Picanolith decks, which is a very unique space for it to occupy. So you got to watch out for things like Conga Dancer or that... uh that environment that does one damage to the plant before combat, or, you know, even like a Bungie Plumber or Rolling Stone on turn two is often the fate that this runs into. And uh, for most of those, that's why I like running Photosynthesizer in, like, every Guardian that's deck. That's a good point. Next to it. Turn it into a 2-3. It's a lot harder to kill. You can play it on a pumpkin shell, turn it into a 4-5. So something else that this uh, is sort of weird about this card's one health is that it's a Guardian card that doesn't go well in a Galactic Cactus deck. Galactic Cactus when it deals one to the entire board, we'll kill this. And um, with stuff that the Galactic Cactus deck wants to do, like, you know, fill an entire board full of, like, you know, high health creatures so that Mirror Nut can wreck them or that Piconolith can do something, or, you know, that they want to, like, very specifically trigger a pair cub so that they get the big attack on the turn that they want it. Forget-Me-Nuts is good at helping set up those environments. So um, Forget-Me-Nuts is kind of like in an awkward position there where it's like it's good enough that you want to play it and it's like relevant to your strategy but like your main build around me in your deck like is bad with it 
Um, so in that case, you probably still play it, but it is probably like you're playing it more for the like surgical opportunity rather than the getting it in your opening hand kind of thing. Yeah, definitely the sort of combo where you're able to dig your own grave a little bit. You know, if you if you throw a forget me nut on turn one and follow it up with a cactus on turn two, and your your cactus gets rolling stoned, you're gonna feel like a chump. But uh, as long as you're aware of those kinds of uh, anti synergies, you can play around them craftily. And you know that is another reason to put photosynthesizer in there to uh, to throw off your opponent's plan of oh, I only need to do one damage to this thing. Uh, not anymore. Yeah, we would be remiss if we didn't mention that this is also a flower. Um, and so everybody's favorite putty, Briar Rose, will will rip your head off if you if you mess with her little buddy. Yeah, having a uh, a one mana trigger for Briar Rose that doesn't hurt at all. And uh, one last thing to say, I think that we we touched on this before, but um, this is very vulnerable to environments because environments also come out in the tricks phase and are not do not have their cost increased. So the natural home for Forget Me Nuts is on the heights because then you're not vulnerable to trapper territory you're not vulnerable to total eclipse um and you know you just kind of like will squeak by that little extra um bump in the road uh if you're facing against a player that's capable of playing those cards yeah and if your opponent has to wait until they get alien news to do something about it then you're probably gonna win oh yeah absolutely jesus on the flip side if you are a zombie player uh and you get totally bugged by this card uh, what you want to try to do is find ways to deal one damage to this thing without playing a spell. Uh, so there are two options that I can think of off the top of my head for that. One of which is Fire Rooster. Comes down the two mana three one, deals one to whatever's in its lane. Uh, this sort of wipes Forget-Me-Nuts off the map, and that sucks really bad. Other answer uh, that I can think of right now being Conga Zombie. The two mana two two Gravestone, when it comes out, deal one. Uh, this snipes Forget-Me-Nuts pretty good. There's also the Haunting Ghost, the 2-mana two 2-1 two ah. uh, beastly card that gives a thing minus 1, minus 1 when you play it. And like Fire Rooster, it comes in at the beginning of the turn, so it is like the the most immediate follow-up you can have to uh, turn 1 Forget Me Not getting played. Or you can play like Sneezing Zombie if your opponent's trying to stack them against you. Yeah, that would be a bummer. Um, but yeah, so on balance, this card is excellent. Um, it's the kind of thing where um, it really does get better in multiples. So, you know, like, this is um, this is a four-of in the decks that can play it, uh, with the exception of Galactic Cactus, as previously mentioned. And this is the kind of thing that uh, will help you kind of mise some wins, um, will definitely upgrade the power level of a new player's deck. And, uh, yeah, I think this is a slam dunk. Yeah, I would definitely recommend doing whatever you can to get four of these, even if it means uh, pouring gems into the bonus meter to fill it up to get more tickets because it is such a boon and such a good metagame call for any kind of trick-rampant zombie heroes. It also works really well in Bofa decks. What's a Bofa deck? I to search for P that didn't also include Pear. Yeah, and Repeat Moss. Right. All right, uh, so for our main segment this week, we're going to have kind of a blend between um, doing a deck breakdown and doing a tribe talk. Uh, we're going to talk about peas. Yeah, uh, probably the most iconic tribe on the plant side. You know, definitely the plants versus zombiest of the different kinds of plants we got out there, and the most adorable, and the first one all the players get their hands on. So we're going to do a little breakdown on what pea decks are, and what they're good at, and what they're bad at, and what they're all about. Yeah, I wonder how much of uh, Plants vs. Zombies' success, like as a franchise, has to do with the pea shooter just being so cute. It is adorable. You know? Yeah, yeah. With the just... giant, giant, uh, like Birdo face. Absolute home run. 
Um, okay, so uh, peas are concentrated primarily in the Megagrow class. As an iconic, they're sprinkled kind of a little bit around the other classes, but they're definitely concentrated in Megagrow. Uh, and there's a fair few of them in the basic set as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Green Shadow, Pea Hero, so obviously a starter deck full of a bunch of different kinds of peas, and Torchwood there too to be an early tutorial about a team-up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are... Um, there are a couple different kind of categories that the that the good P cards fall into, I would say. So there's the there's the early game pressure you stuff, uh, which in the basic and core set called which are uh, P Pod, Torchwood, and Black Eyed P. Those are super great, and those are the best when they come down at the beginning. Uh, and you just kind of like cross your fingers and hope that the zombie player doesn't have a way to deal with it. Black Eyed P has some resiliency there, whereas the basic stuff doesn't. Uh, but you know the Something that a P tribal deck often wants to do is, like, stick an early game threat. Yeah, definitely a very tempo-focused strategy where it relies on you having a good statted creature to play on, like, your first three turns. Like, you want to throw your Peapod down right away so it can start growing, and you want to follow that up with Torchwood or Black-Eyed P or Fire Pea Shooter, and then, you know, maybe a little bit in the late game, you throw down your Podfather and throw a couple of things down with it. Yeah, and so that uh, carries into the next thing, which is the um, the sort of the it's not quite so much an engine because you don't really draw tons of cards, but like so the P decks mid game strategy is to have a thing and then buff it. So Podfather is the way from the core set of how to do that. Three mana two two when you play a P that P gets plus two plus two. That's quite a substantial buff. You know that's if we think about the uh, the grow shroom the three mana two one that when it comes in does that as we just saw with our event card a two one is a one mana body. Uh, so that's a two-mana effect stapled onto the Podfather. Um, and so uh, for that reason, Podfather is like a very important part of the P-Tribal mid-game. Yeah, and it's one that you can get several uses off of if you're able to protect it for a little bit. Which is tough, because it's a two-attack, two-health creature, so there are uh, plenty of zombie things that can kill it, even if there's something in its way. But, uh, you know, if you're able to throw down like a, like a primal P-Shooter turning into a 4-4 four, four for one, that is phenomenal. Yeah, you definitely try to follow this up with one mana plays. It's a great friend of Click P as well. So the uh, let's talk about the things that you can buff with it. So uh, one of the things that is sort of endemic to the P tribe is Double Strike. Uh, they were the one of only two cards in the core set that had Double Strike back before it was a keyword on uh, Repeater. And there's a couple other things with Double Strike. So we got the Cosmic P, uh, which not only has Double Strike, it draws you another Double Striking thing. And then uh, in the towards the later game, you got uh, Gatling P, which is you know probably your finisher, comes down, does a bonus attack, and then Double Strikes them to death. Yeah, the Gatling P was a really big boost to this sort of deck being that big late game threat and synergizing so well with weaker early game bodies and uh then when it's got its stats flipped around it really took things to another level because a double strike five attack is super good that's a lot of damage that's right and so we can talk about now i think um some of the p stuff going on in other classes so as we said it's mostly concentrated in mega grow but there's some good ones elsewhere so smarty uh being the other half of green shadow has some p stuff in it Notably Snow P, 2-mana 2-2, when it hits a thing, freeze it. Uh, so that is a very good card to keep around, uh, especially if you're doing the, the uh, freezing thing, which like a tempo deck wants to do. Being able to have like a repeatable source of um, ability to grow your, your Snowdrop is a, uh, is a good thing. Um, and then on the high end there, you've got the 3-Peter, the one that attacks uh, in the lanes adjacent. Uh, so any buff to the power of that are extra strong. And on the Guardian side, you've got... You've got the Stingbean, which is nice because it is, one, the only amphibious 
key card, and it has bullseye. And it also works really well with the three nut, which most people think of as a nut and not a P, but it is one of those uh, P and nut cards. And being able to have a cheap three attack bullseye thing in the water lane is pretty cool. Like a, every now and then, you'll see that grass knuckles deck running running a three nut package with some peas, and it's not that bad. Like a lot of peas really appreciate being dropped onto the field with three attack, and then you've got stuff like torchwood, which you know you turn that into a three three. That's pretty cool. Definitely. So uh, there's also some nice utility creatures that are happening uh, in the the pea tribe as well. So we mentioned fire pea shooter, which in addition to being good aggro card is also just like reasonable at trading. It's like you know higher power than its cost means that it's good at doing that. But then we've also got Sweet Pea, 2-mana, two 2-3. Two, when, it, when it comes in, you move a zombie to its lane. Uh, and so that is good at doing a bunch of stuff. Uh, it's good at sniping annoying threats out of the amphibious lane because, as was just stated, you don't really have any amphibious stuff to do. It's also great at protecting your combo pieces. So 3-nut, Podfather. Uh, if you're doing, like, Lily of the Valley or something like that, then that's legit. Um, if you're doing a freeze thing, you can protect your um, snowdrop. And so uh, Sweet Pea is a very important role player for the kind of like aggressive to mid-rangey thing that P-Dex want to do. Yeah, Mega Grow definitely needed cards more on the strategy side and a little bit less on the good raw stats side. And uh, Sweet Pea is a is a great role filler for that because not only does it deal with uh, threats out of reach like Toxic Waste Imp or Arm Wrestler, but you can also use it to help free up one of your bigger guys to do damage. Also, if you happen to synergize it with your combo piece, then that's all the better. So, like, 2-mana, two 2-3, two, pull a thing into its lane is okay, but a 2-mana, 4-5, pull a thing into its lane is even better. Uh, and if you've got a Podfather down, like, protecting the Podfather by taking the threat out of its lane and also playing a 4-5 means that you're probably going to just eat whatever the thing was, you know, unless it had deadly. And chances are they probably weren't going to blow a deadly thing on the dinky little 2-health Podfather anyway. Uh, so, in that case, you're really going to get him. One thing I like about peas is that they work pretty well in every Mega Grow hero. Like, there's not really one hero that stands out above the others being like, oh, this is the hero that is best for, for peas, because, like, none of the superpowers interact in any way, and most of the sure. tools for this are all in Mega Grow, so they're accessible to everybody. So it comes down to what kind of support cards you want, you know, whether you want Berry Blast or Shamrocket or ramp stuff in Chompzilla. Probably that has as much to do with Peas being an iconic uh, PBZ tribe as anything. You know, like if you're going to come into PBZ Heroes, chances are you're going to have good memories of, of mowing dudes down with pea shooters in the tower defense game. Uh, and so being able to do that with while also sort of like scratching whatever like mechanical itch the rest of the, of the classes evoke, uh, I think is good game design. Yeah, and it also leaves the door open for future peas to come out so like like the primal pea shooter is is a great example because it's pretty easy to slightly modify the pea shooter to make it into a different creature entirely so like this is a tribe that we can definitely expect to keep seeing as uh, more expansions come out we hope <laughs> uh yes i would agree with that um i would also say that also allows them to kind of goose the players into playing uh, hate cards uh, by tacking the P tribe onto it. Uh, so I think the biggest um, example of that is Wingnut, the four mana three seven in Solar, the P nut plant zombies can't do bonus attacks. That thing is, if I'm honest, 
only tangentially related to a pea. Um, it's, you know, it's like the kind of thing you see on like a maple tree that lets the little helicopter duders go. Perhaps in some like genealogical sense that might be a pea, uh, but doesn't really look quite so much like one. But the pea tribe uh, serves a role here, not just in um, providing some kind of corner case mechanical synergy, but also saying, hey, here's a new thing in a tribe that you know is good. Maybe this card is also good. And then people play with it and it's like, oh, wow, I'm not getting wrecked by bonus attacks anymore. Um, you know, like having a like strong tribe that's that people are going to be paying attention to is a great way to kind of like pass signals onto the player base to say, hey, you should be looking in this direction. I honestly think the wingnut got marked as a P because it was drawn as green. Oh, maybe. Yeah, it definitely does look like one of those little helicopter seeds and the center of it does look like a P, but it really only looks like a pea because it is green. Otherwise, if it were brown, it would just look like a round ball. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, so something that um, is kind of different in this game than in the PVZ tower defense game is that in the tower defense game, all the peas have, like, the big open mouth. Um, whereas in this, you can be a, in the pea tribe and not have, you know, sort of like the giant face hanging open. Uh, so, like, sting bean is, like, edamame is a soybean. Uh, and that's what this is, but um, it doesn't have the, like, you know, Birdo face happening. It's just kind of like a person's face. Chickpea is a pea, allegedly, um, and these are just, like, little dudes with sunglasses. Maybe, I don't know, maybe that's just because, like, the tribes weren't as, like, mechanically relevant in the PVZ tower defense game, that they had to, it had to be, like, kind of more called out when they, when they did matter. You know, like, Torchwood was an interaction in the original game, um, and so you had to be, like, visually identifiable. I always thought it was a little uh, neat how in the, the tower defense game, if you put a snow pea behind a torchwood, the fire from the torchwood would, would melt the, the freezing effect of it and it would turn into a regular pea or maybe a fire pea. Yeah, I, th I think it just turned into a regular fire pea. Yeah, that kind of thing is cool. Um, if I remember, uh, that does not happen in this game. You can have a, a snow pea behind a torchwood and still freeze the dude. Yeah, yeah, you can be hot and cold like Katy Perry. And um, one P that we overlooked a little bit was the split P, the two cost four one that does uh, damage to yourself before it attacks. And you know that card one from being from a, a later set, and two for having way high attack compared to other stuff of that cost. It feels like it is at its best when it is in like a much more all out aggro deck because a lot of the other P cards of that cost have two attack. And if you're playing something with split P, you want to try and do as much damage as possible per block meter hit. Totally. It's not exactly like this, but it's kind of like Black Eyed P in that way, whereas like Black Eyed P is just pushed so hard that you'll play it pretty much no matter what. Uh, whereas this, like, it's a little bit more uh, niche in that you really want to be kind of like trying to blitz them down. But yeah, you kind of don't need to get as much out of the P... Uh, tribe in this case because the the rest of the card is just doing so much work and uh, we would be remiss if we didn't mention the fact that dealing the one damage to your face um, means that uh, you are more likely to have like superpowers show up earlier uh, and kind of help you save the day uh, which is something that aggro decks wants to do uh, so I think that split P in addition to being an adorable design uh, a like a very cute avatar for it um, and like sort of a fun mechanical interplay um, provides a lot of added benefit to aggro decks as well. Uh, all right, so to close this out, um, let's talk about some of the stuff that are not peas but go well with them. Ironically, none of these cards are carrots, 
Uh, but so the first thing that I thought of that old standby gross room, the three mana two one buff a thing plus two plus two. Um, that gets to go on your double striking dudes. Can't go wrong with that. Don't let being a basic common card fool you. Gross room is great and goes in all sorts of mega grow decks and fits really well at home. If you want to buff your Torchwood, it's great for that too. Yeah, sometimes you do want to do that. The first thing that came to my mind was a uh, like a bonus attack draw engine focused around party time and probably plant food. You know, both of those being mega grow cards as well. You can put them in any P hero deck you want, and it is a way for you to fill up your hand. Like, plants don't get a lot of draw the way zombies do, and you really don't want to run Flourish, if we're being real. So being able to find a way to draw more cards and also take out your opponent's monsters is really useful. Similarly, um, I would highlight Banana Bomb as a great card for an aggressive P deck. So this is a Kabloom card, so it only goes in a uh, Captain Combustible deck. But uh, the great thing about this is it costs one, so... Uh, when you combine that with your dudes being cheap, it allows you to like develop your board and uh, spend a removal spell on killing their thing, um, which is something that aggro decks don't often get to do. Um, and then additionally, um, since you're playing Kabloom, you get to play Berry Blast. This allows you to um, sort of like wipe away uh, whatever weenie your opponent tried to trade with your, your P card with um, while saving your Berry Blast to later go to their dome. Uh, so this this sort of fills a niche to allow your early game dudes to get in while conserving your more versatile burn spells for doing extra duty somewhere else. You could also try running Savage Spinach and being able to to boost all the stuff in your hand that way. And uh, the P-Patch, the 2-2 that you can fusion a thing on to grow it 2-2, is a P and leafy plant. So that works great as a thing to evolve your spinach onto and also keeps the theme. Yeah, one one note about P-Patch. So, so P-Patch is the same kind of card as Podfather. It, it gives the thing plus two, plus two. This is a consumable item, so it's a two-mana two-two that when you use its power, the thing has to die, because it's a fusion. And so on the face of it, that's like, well, that's card disadvantage. It only works once, and I have to sacrifice my creature. And that's true, but it doesn't actually differ from the Podfather scenario all that much. Podfather costs three and is still a two-two, which means that on your next turn you're probably only going to get that one turn of using it. So if you've got like a one-mana thing and a two-mana thing, and you get two buffs out of it, then that's great. But chances are, especially if it's sort of towards the mid-game and you need to like maybe spend a burn spell on something, maybe you've got another buff, um, like say vegetation mutation that you're trying to do, trying to play an environment, who knows, um, you might only get one buff off that Podfather anyway. You can think about P-Patch as card disadvantage, and that's fine, but it doesn't really provide all that worse of an effect than Podfather, because Podfather's so small that chances are they're probably going to be able to kill it without spending a whole card. They can play like a 3-3 in front of it and still have a dude left over. P-Patch is also a very nice thing to follow up a Torchwood with, being able to turn that into a 4-2 and then able to grow that even more a turn later. Very good point. And so I guess the last thing that I would point out is Onion Rings. Uh, so Onion Rings is like, you know, the standard um, sort of top end for a deck that's full of weenies. It doesn't work quite as well with the peas so much because the peas, um, you know, are capable of being a little bit more mid-rangey, um, in which case you kind of want to play your dudes out. Um, and so in this case, you know, the the Onion Rings is going to have a little bit less fodder to deal with. You probably would want to construct your deck a little bit differently. You probably would be running Flourish in that case. But, you know, if you've got Onion Rings and you're trying to find something to make it work with it, you could definitely do worse than peas. 
Yeah, and if you're doing the onion ring thing, then you definitely want to run Cosmic P, because not only does that become a 4-4 with Double Strike, but whatever thing you conjure off of it becomes a 4-4 with Double Strike, and that might be a 3-peter. I guess the last one I would recommend is something to deal with Gravestones, either Grave Buster, Grave Mistake, or Blockbuster, because that is a very uh, very common counter to uh, to a growing P card, is to throw a Gravestone in front of it so you can't bonus attack with it, or evolve your Gadling P on it, so having something in store for that is a, a good uh, use of a utility slot in your deck. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I would caution you, though, that for, for aggressive and or sort of like tempo-ish mid-rangey decks, um, your availability of flex slots is pretty small. Um, a lot of those decks rely very much on being consistent, and so the situational cards are kind of you don't really have as much leeway as you do with a something like a control deck that's like drawing a bunch of cards. It's got robust removal, so like you're the the game is going to go on long enough for your situational stuff to be relevant. In this case, it really has to be relevant in only the first few turns. Um, so if you were doing like kind of like a low to the ground grass knuckles with lots of peas in it, um, I would probably max out at like two grave busters, maybe even only one. I think I'm starting to come around to if you're going to hate on gravestones, then really hate on gravestones because. If you're constructing your deck in a way that you hate gravestones, you want to make it as likely as possible that you have the answer to the gravestones, which you hate so much. And, uh, like, Teleportation Zombie can really kind of ruin your day, because there are not a lot of ways to kill a 1-5 as a Mega Grow Hero. Or even as any hero, really. True, yeah, your, your, your Pea Green Shadow probably isn't running Shrinking Violet. Yeah, so I agree with that. I mean, so the thing that I am thinking about is how often is your opponent packed to the gills with gravestones versus how often does your opponent just have like a few? And then as a court, sort of a corollary to that, how absolutely necessary is it that if they're running only a few gravestones and they get that gravestone set up that you kill it? So an example of that last thing is like if they're doing the graveyard uh, space cowboy thing, uh, that would totally screw you super bad as a as a pea green shadow. Um, and so if you are really worried about that, then then maybe you do want to have multiple grave mistakes in your deck. But I mean, I guess my perspective is the like the all in gravestone shenanigans. First of all, are are pretty much confined to sneaky heroes. But even then, I don't think every sneaky hero really wants to do that as it's plan a like you know i think that you can build a very serviceable uh super brains or hg deck that doesn't really get into gravestones that much at all um like super brains you kind of you've got a lot of good tricks available to you um and hg is kind of like trying to do the most busted thing possible whereas like you really kind of got to be like an infinity or a neptuna if you want to really go deep on gravestones um and so i guess it's just like you know, do you tech super hard against 5% of the field or do you tech like medium amount against a broader swath of the field? And I, you know, there's pros and cons to both. Yeah, it also depends on what decks are popular at the moment because, you know, sure, Teleportation Zombie is bad, but Sumo Zombie is not that bad. Like, you don't need to kill the Sports Zombie's Gravestone unless you think it's like one of the, the big rodeo guards late in the game, but most people don't run that, I feel like. Yeah, I don't see that that often. Yeah, usually it comes conjured off of a cosmic athlete. But yeah, those are the peas. 
Yeah, uh, this like you know you uh, you will not go wrong by deciding to um, have the powerpoints in your deck come from come from peas. It creates just like a great uh, I was gonna say meat and potatoes, but let's say peas and carrots like uh, card game gameplay pattern where you've got like creatures and you're buffing them and the size of creatures matter and you're going into combat and you got tricks and you're doing stuff. Um, like peas are a very um, archetypal and very attractive uh, play pattern for the kinds of card games uh, that uh, we like to talk about. Yeah. And so, you know, for, for new players and stuff, um, that's really going to kind of expose them to, to one of the more rewarding sides of the gameplay, in my opinion. Yeah, and it's pretty simple to wrap your head around. It's the kind of deck where you want to play a creature on every turn, which uh, that's usually my favorite kind of deck. Yeah, and something that a new player can very easily wrap their head around. Which is why it's my favorite kind of deck. Uh, All right, yeah. Uh, We know that you guys have had uh, various P-decks and various incarnations over the course of the show. Uh, You know, we've seen our handful of um, Gatling P-decks and so on. Uh, But there's probably some stuff we didn't mention. um, And you all probably have some some decks that are like your pet project um, that are maybe like a particularly good execution of the whole P thing or, you know, maybe a twist on it that we didn't get to. Uh, and so if that's if that's what you got, then uh, send it our way at shroomfor2podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, we are totally down to look at your various P-decks and see what kind of cool shenanigans you're trying to get up on, you know, whether you're trying to run Sunstrike or some crazy Captain Combustible combo or Onion Rings goodness. Yeah, any of those you can totally send our way. There might not be a show next week. I am about to get on a plane and go and visit my family, so I, like, I'm bringing my recording equipment with me, but I just I don't know where I'm going to be next week when we record, so if there's no show next week, that's why. And if this episode was uploaded late, that's why. And if you want to hang out at Bradley International Airport, come by two days ago and we can hang out. <laughs> uh, but until... Nine days from two days ago, I'm Taylor. And I'm Mike. Have a great week, everybody. Bye. I was uh, playing Hearthstone Arena today, and I I made a hunter with a bunch of mechs in it. And I had one of those, like, summon a bunch of goblin bombs sort of things. Mm -hmm. And I was able to set them all off by running into some other hunter's explosive trap. That's awesome. Yeah. What do you think of uh, Magnetic? Uh, I'm... I, I'm pretty interested in it. I I really like it as a uh, like it reminds me a lot of that fusion evolution thing where you're throwing two cards into into one creature to try to make something really awesome. Uh, I'm really excited about the Doctor Boom hero. Like I think that's going to be mm. the legendary I go and craft, and like part of that because the the ability to give all of your mechs rush makes them a lot awesomer. Like there's that six cost taunt thing that when damage make a two three with taunt guy who most of the streamers are really down on, but I think if you give that rush, it's really good. Interesting thing about um, about magnetic to me is that it is it is basically one hundred percent stolen from magic. Um, there was a mechanic called bestow um, in uh, a set maybe five or six years ago that um, it was a creature and you could just play it, um, but it had another mode where you could treat it like a buff basically and just put it on another creature, and so it would be like you know. This is a 2-2 with flying, uh, and you can just play it as a 2-2 with flying, or you can cast it as a creature enchantment that gives the enchanted creature plus 2 plus 2 and flying. Um, and uh, the only difference was the uh, the bestow cost was different than the regular mana cost, and when the creature died, the bestow stick, stuck around as a creature. Like, basically gave every creature a death rattle to summon whatever the bestow was. Oh, nice. Uh, 
which made it really cool um, and like definitely way better than um, than creature buffs usually are in Magic. Um, but I mean, it's you know, it's uh, it's just funny to see um, you know, like I wonder how long before uh, someone brought up Bestow was in the in the design meeting where they came up with Magnetic. It'd be like, isn't this exactly Bestow? And they're like, Yep, yes, shut up. But <laughs> scoop it up real fast. Hope nobody saw. Yeah, I mean, nothing wrong with that. And Hearthstone's been around long enough where they they got to start looking for other things to rip. They've been around for four years now and like are continuously putting out new sets. So like they they got to start ripping off somebody somewhere. Yeah, very true. I kind of want to go I, back into Wild and like dust off the old Mech Mage and see which mm. of the new ones will make that even more bonkers because I I love me some Mech Mage. That was definitely cool. Um, you know, the uh, going like Mech Warper, Mech Warper, shit my entire hand out onto the board was really fun. Oh man, or like the Shaman deck where you play the thing with Wind Fury and then the plus yes. two attack totem next to it. <laughs> yep, or even that that was been that was when uh, Rock Biter Weapon cost one. Uh, oh, and so yeah. you, you could just like, you could really get them. Oh, man. Fucking Shamans. I guess it's yeah. kind of cool that shamans have a different reason I hate them every year. Oh, okay. So, like, you're, are you pissed about Evolve? No, Shutterwalk. Oh, yeah. Well, Shutterwalk is a fucking disaster. Shutterwalk just never should have been made. I I think... Uh, I think I would be fine with Shutterwalk if Grumble didn't exist. Sure. That is a big part of why that's so stupid. It's really stupid. Um, okay, I gotta go. All right, bye.